Hello, everybody. We'll call the meeting back to order to public session. We first have a few announcements from uh, public session, or from closed session. Sorry about that. Uh, I'm going to report out on the negotiations. The board approved the Napa Valley Community College District, Napa Valley College Faculty Association, CCA, CTA, NEA labor agreement for the period of July 1, 2017 through June 30, 2020. The district and association agreed to numerous language changes in the agreement. The 2017-2020 Napa Valley Community College District, Napa Valley College Faculty Association, CCA, CTA, NEA labor agreement includes a 3% increase to the 2017-2018 contract regular faculty and part-time Hourly credit faculty salary schedules are a 2% increase to the 2019-2020 contract regular faculty and part-time. Hourly credit faculty salary schedules for 2018-2019 academic year, there will be no change to the faculty salary schedules due to the implementation of the one-to-one instructional load factor. The 2016-2017 contract regular faculty and part-time hourly credit faculty salary schedules were previously approved at the April 2017 Board of Trustees meeting to include a 2% increase beginning with compensation for fall 2016 and an additional 2% increase beginning with compensation to spring 2017. The revised agreement and salary schedules will be posted on the college's HR webpage. And we're board approved. Yes. And then we have one more good news announcement. We uh, uh, Cuso? approved. Was, was, it, was it unanimously approved? It was unanimous, unanimously approved, yes. Thank you. We have um, approved full-time employment for temporary at-will classified administrator Doug Ernst as interim public information officer with a start date of July 1, 2017. Congratulations, Doug. And that was a 5-to-1, 5-4-1 abstention. Amy Martinson. Okay. All right. So now where am I? Pledge. All right. <laughs> Pledge of Allegiance. And how about we have Manveer lead us in that tonight? Sorry to put you on the spot. 
I need to pull this up. This is what I'm used to looking at right here. Okay. All right, so now we move to adopt the agenda. And I need a motion to adopt the agenda. So moved. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Motion carries. Agenda adopted. Okay, public comment. At this time, the board will devote a total of up to 15 minutes for comments to the Board of Trustees regarding any subject not appearing as an agenda item for this meeting, but over which the board has jurisdiction. The public may ask the board to place an item related to the business of the district on a future board agenda. No action or discussion will occur at this time on such items. Individuals will be limited to five-minute presentation. At this time, the board chair will poll those in attendance regarding their intent to speak on the item on the agenda. Right now, I just have Gary Orton. Is there anyone else? Madam Vice Chair, Trustees, my name is Gary Orton. I reside in Napa. I've addressed this board on several occasions about policy setting and oversight responsibilities related to proposed campus housing. I frequently stated my concern about public-private financing and the need for the board to assure that the, a process that is, one, competitive, two, transparent, three, based on independent expert advice, and four, based on clarity of purpose and vision. I requested you set policy to give priority for housing affordability and district retention of as much control as possible over planning, design, construction, and operation. At the April 20 board meeting, most of this board gave the appearance they don't support transparency. Not only did the board fail to require staff to present in advance a written report with an analysis of costs, benefits, and risks, including recommendations and alternatives, the board decided to proceed with an RFQ for campus housing development, apparently not knowing much about, of anything about the RFQ process. I was appalled when one board member stated that an RFQ, pro, an RFQ, and I quote, all an RFQ is, I mean, really, it does nothing. We can get an RFQ and look at it and put it on a shelf. I mean, it does nothing. So I think that we're just, that's, that's you know, it's meaningless. I was even more appalled that, with one exception, no other board or staff member failed to correct this absurd notion and that that one protesting board member was cut short. This board missed an opportunity to direct the staff regarding the need for competitiveness, transparency, independent expert advice, and to give the staff its collective wisdom on the purpose and vision for student housing. This board missed the opportunity to influence the scope of work of the RFQ. Nevertheless, you still have the power, no, the duty to direct staff, and I urge the board to do so, at the earliest time. Here are four areas of concern that need board, the board's attention. One is the unauthorized RFQ scope of work. Parts of the RFQ scope of work as, as issued were never discussed by the board. The board should clarify that it did not approve that scope. The only thing presented to the board was student housing on the Napa campus. The scope of the RFQ now includes 
faculty and student and staff housing and development of the St. Helena campus. And forebodingly, it requires proposers to have successfully planned at least three mixed-use master plan developments, thus limiting the potential pool of consultants. Such scope expansion and pool limitation will increase costs and decrease competition. I addressed the next three areas of concern in my emails a month ago to the board. I have not received any reply. The second concern is the lack of competitive negotiating process. The district lacks a competitive negotiating process required by statute to proceed with a fee-producing infrastructure project exempt from competitive bidding and should postpone further planning for its housing project until it adopts such a process. One of the ways to improve competition is to require the selection committee making recommendations to the board about private consultants and developers to be comprised of diverse faculty and staff members. Three, topic of underestimated planning costs. The amount of district funds projected to be spent in moving forward with an RFQ planning process were grossly underestimated. The board should adopt a method of monitoring costs, setting benchmarks, and regularly reviewing whether it wants to proceed with this project. At the April 20 board meeting, Dr. Kraft downplayed the upfront costs. That is, the district's at-risk dollars, saying, certainly not even hundreds of thousands, yet Orange Coast College's planning and negotiating costs were the, in the high hundreds of thousands, if not over a million by the time it issued bonds. And remember, that was for student, a student housing project of about the size Dr. Kraft presented as the model to this board. The fourth area of concern, questionable financial assumptions. The financial assumptions set forth by Dr. Kraft at the April 20, 2017 board meeting lacked verifiable independent source, overestimated revenue, and underestimated costs. The board should make a financial feasibility analysis its first priority before proceeding further. At the April 20 meeting, Dr. Kraft told the board he had consulted with an unnamed architect about the best place to build. He showed the board a 314-unit, fully furnished housing structure that would be about a 70 million, quote, 70 million project out the door, close quote. He implied that careful analysis had been undertaken, quote, based on this model, 314 at 800 to 1,200 at 56% units, single occupancy, the annual cash flow after all expenses, to the general fund of the college, after the bonds, all the bonds have been paid, after all the operational costs have been paid, all of that attainment is about a million dollars or so annually, and that's the expectation, that's the best guess, if you will, those numbers will be hard and fast, close quote. I made a formal records request for all planning costs incurred to date for campus housing. The formal response was that none exist. Relying on volunteer consultants raises the question of validity and independence. This board should have asked the expertise about the expertise and independence of the source of the assumptions on which, which it relied to approve an RFQ. The 314-unit model is about the same size that Orange Coast College decided to build, but OCC is about three times as large as Napa Valley College, making the 314-unit model a dubious assumption on which to base a decision to move forward. The projected annual net cash flow of about $1 million was not only overstated because of the overestimation of the size of the housing project, but staff failed to inform the board that, one, net cash flow can only be spent for housing-related expenses, direct and indirect, and two, Orange Coast College's estimated indirect housing impacts were $900,000. In summary, I sent all board members and staff this information a month ago in detail, in writing, with copious references. When I first addressed this board on the subject, this subject, 
I warned that these deals are expensive and complicated, that you would soon be swimming with sharks, and that you needed your own shark repellent. The best repellent is to hire independent consultants and attorneys who have actually negotiated the many contracts that are required to put these expensive deals together. By independent, I mean they only work for you. They are only loyal to the district. As Warren Buffett once said, if you want independent advice, don't ask a barber whether you need a haircut. Thank you. And I have uh, this here. Anybody would like copies? I will give it to Carol. Thank you. Are there any other public comments? Okay. We will move on to constituent reports, and I believe the only person here to give one tonight is Raphael. Yes, that is correct. Uh, my name is Rafael Monzo, and I am the new president of the Associated Student uh, Government here on campus, ASNVC. Um, today is my first meeting representing as such, and it is also, I think, Manveer uh, Sandu's first meeting as our student trustee. So we are both here, like, you know, <laughs> it's, our, it's our debut. It's our brand debut. So, um, yeah. Um, so for my report, I mean, we our first day was June 1st, when you really think about it. Uh, we were elected at the end of April into May, um, but our first our first day was not until June 1st. Um, so there's not much to report since we are a new board, but what I can say is that um, we, we, we uh, wasted no time going on our leadership retreat, which we do every year. ASNVC has a leadership retreat um, where, in where we, we train the newly elected board um, everything that they'll need to know to begin uh, doing their job as student representatives um, effective immediately, really. Um, and, you know, uh, because, you know, there's not much for us going on in summer unless we choose to take on initiatives, right? Um, otherwise, fall is when really all of the big expectations come in. But we uh, went ahead and did our retreat early, and so now that our board has this, all their training, all their basics, I mean, they're ready to get going, and there's a lot of ideas. Um, another thing is that the leadership retreat, I mean, I served as a senator for three years. Many of you know this, um, as the Senator of Arts and Humanities. And every time that I went on the leadership retreat, the format of the retreat was um, ha has always been the same. It's kind of tradition. And while I enjoyed my time uh, very much, I always had ideas myself, you know, if I was ever president and I could choose how, like, what the format of the retreat, the retreat was going to be, I know what I'd do. And so I am, ha-ha, and uh, now I finally got to try it out my way. Um, I just wanted us to have, I, I wanted to see what would happen if a newly elected ASNVC board got trained in a very specific uh, way that really gives them the full uh, foundation for how to begin their work. Um, and so we used to do a lot of our trainings, like um, you know, the, um, safe space training, which we will need, of course, and, and we're doing all of those trainings um, here on campus uh, sometime this summer. But over the course of the retreat, what I wanted was more like workshops, um, much to the model of uh, Chief Arnold, who is not here tonight, um, his 
NVC Leadership Academy, which uh, Dr. Kraft even teaches some of those workshops. Um, you know, and it's such a great format. Many of our board members, the returning members, have gone through the academy, um, and it's uh, definitely influenced my format for the retreat. But um, it wasn't just conceptual either. We didn't just learn leadership as concepts. Um, that's just one part of it. What we really did was give them application. I wanted to give them real scenarios from my experience as a student rep on this campus. What will advocacy look like? What are some examples of things that you can actually do with shared governance on this campus? What are the expectations even? There are some things that are expected of you, um, and whether or not we rise to the occasion, rise to the challenges, is really important. So um, I definitely... Had, had my chance at reformatting the retreat, and I feel like this board will be very different than any previous board, and like we will only raise the standard even higher. Um, I told them a lot. I said, we're a brand new board. We're working off of like a really brand new, fresh, blank canvas, and I mean, we don't have to be held to the uh, shortcomings of any previous board. You know, like we're brand new. We're a whole new group of people brought together, and so the ideas that we come up with together are going to be brand new. Um, and anyone who has ever had um, a hard time with a student representative in the past, I'll ask you to please think of us as a brand new board because that's what we are. We're a brand new collection, and already the ideas were bouncing around and how well we meshed um, during our time at the retreat. I mean, it just... It shows uh, me how much potential, how much true potential we have. Um, and it's just so exciting. I, I'm like jumping out of my chair. I'm so excited. Yeehaw. Um, <laughs> and uh, the other thing I guess that I would say is, um, let me see. Uh, I believe I had one more point to make. I just can't quite remember it, you know? Shucks. Um, but I'm really happy to, to be the, the president of the new board and um, really excited for you to see what we take on. Um, we have many a, a great idea coming down and much legacy that we're carrying on as well. We're not just disregarding the past. I mean, obviously, um, legacy is, is one of my big uh, core values in life. And um, at ASNBC, we have definitely taken on legacy as one of our board values um, over time. So, yeah. Thank you. you. You've set very high expectations. Oh, I do. I don't intend. <laughs> During my presidency, I really don't intend to let the standards slip. If anything, I want to clarify. A lot of it was about making decisions. Um, I, I, have, I must say, um, it wasn't just talking about communication skills. It was about how will we choose to communicate over the year. Let us discuss that and set that. Same with all of the other leadership concepts that we had, time management and so on basic conceptual, you know, themes for leadership, but we made decisions about how we would proceed in the year, and I just think that I'm just so excited about it. So, yeah. Thank you, Raphael, and welcome. Thank you. Do we have a foundation report? We do. Oh, we there do. you are. Yes, yes. <laughs> Thanks, Bill Hardy. Um, Bill Hardy, president-elect, right, of the uh, foundation. Yeah, I, uh, uh, just when you thought it was safe to uh, have the foundation here, I, I'm back. But the, uh, uh, I, I'm going to be president-elect as of uh, July 1, but Gerardo just wasn't able to make it tonight, so I, I'm pinch-hitting for him. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I really enjoy uh, and, and, and thank you for, for allowing us to 
present in front of you. We've got uh, a lot to cover. The first thing is that uh, we have a new executive director as of July 15th. This will be the first executive director, full-time executive director, paid for entirely out of uh, college foundation funds. So uh, uh, we uh, – and then we're going to be hiring someone else to work part-time doing administrative work. So we will be untethered uh, from uh, – uh, from college uh, payroll uh, needs. The uh, the woman's name is Ann Branch. Ann is uh, – uh, now involved with her husband in a, in a wine law business uh, out of Monterey and uh, France and other places. Uh, and her husband is, a, is a, uh, I guess, a pretty well-known wine lawyer. The, uh, she is uh, – the history that's relevant is she was the Northern, Cali- Northern California alumni representative for uh, UCSB, and in that capacity – uh, raised uh, four or five million dollars in in the course of reorganize totally reorganizing the alumni database, and that's something that caught my eye when I read her CV because that's something that we want to emphasize here. Where it's you know the alumni giving is is the heart and soul of almost every college or university with which any of us have been associated, as you know when you keep getting the mail, and uh, but it's really important if you have the affiliation with the school, you're more likely to be a giver than if you don't. And the alumni have an automatic, ready-made affiliation with the school. Uh, we are not certain what we're going to do regarding space. We're still uh, arranging some space for uh, for our new staff people, and we'll, we're going to work on that at some point in the future. Somewhat in the future, we may even decide to, to uh, locate our uh, the foundation off-site. Uh, as an aside, one of the reasons that we hired Ann Branch was because no matter where we're located, we will have a branch office, right? The uh, uh, sorry about that, I couldn't couldn't resist. The uh, we also have a uh, we have a, a rough estimate for the VWT program that we've talked about at length and that we presented a couple of months ago here. Uh, it's going to be somewhere around $6.5 million based on what we now have uh, projected uh, entirely with private money. Uh, it is going to be uh, – that's based on a, a, a sort of a back-of-the-envelope estimate by Matt, uh, and uh, we're not holding him to it. We, we, uh, we haven't gotten a fully fleshed-out estimate from the contractor yet, but we will get that. Uh, and then once the executive director is on board, we will begin the capital campaign. One of the things that impressed me when she applied for the job is she gave me a fully developed uh, PowerPoint on uh, uh, on setting up the fundraising strategy, which I thought was uh, was sort of forward-looking. Uh, the most important thing we do remains support for the college and the and scholarships for the students. Uh, and this year. We've just completed, this year just completed and uh, and awarded, we have given out 302 scholarships to Napa Valley College students, totaling uh, $254,879, 34 scholarships to high school students, totaling $28,225, and 12 to outside uh, persons, totaling $12,000. In addition to that, we provide program support, as, as you probably are aware, uh, in the form of culinary support, <clears throat> these are for, these are endowed support mechanisms that we manage, and out of that we gave a total of one hundred and nineteen thousand nine hundred and eleven dollars. So altogether, 
over $400,000 of support for the school and the students, and we're really proud of that. <clears throat> if you've never had the uh, opportunity to hand out scholarships to, to, to students who really, really needed it, it is just a wonderful thing to do. The, the, uh, so <clears throat> if you have any questions about the executive director, about the VWT program, about the scholarships, or about uh, why I keep making these lousy jokes, uh, I, I'm, I'm happy to answer them. Yes? This might be, well, it's for both of, both of you. Um, I'm wondering, so since you, you're hiring the full-time director, um, are we going to be needing to redo the MOU? Because I know the 40000 per year that you have to pay to the district, a lot of that is for staff time, and you're hiring your own director. So will that be coming forward to renegotiate the terms of the contract? It will, it will be coming forward for you to ratify at some point, and we're already doing I'm trying to raise the amount of the MOU based. I'm joking. Look at Bill. So, yes. Um, Good luck already, with that. I uh, sent uh, um, a draft to Bill today, and we're, we're working on that back and forth as, as we speak. Yeah, that's a good question, but the, Dr. Kraft and I are, are trying, to, trying to iron that out right now. Okay, thanks a lot, for, and I look forward to uh, joining you uh, several times in, in the future. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. So I'll just continue to pick up and call on the vice presidents for um, their report. Oscar, you want to, uh, since we saw your smiling face, Oh, thank you. Twelve feet high here. You know, thank you. Earlier. <clears throat> well, my 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 port uh, is is, uh, is is attached here in board docs. But basically, it's just a list of, of activities that that we've involved in the last uh, through two weeks or so, the end of May through through uh, through mid June. Um, but one of but one of the activities uh, that I want to uh, uh, highlight is that we have been doing uh, several wor- workshops on educational plans. In other words, this is this is the the third step, the most important step of of uh, of a student's uh, five steps to to enrollment to make sure that they have that that map that they can navigate to make sure that they know what classes they need to take for the fall semester and spring semester. So um, over the last couple couple of days, uh, a week or so, we've been having several of the sessions, both off campus and on campus. I've also been asked to to give welcomes to to a couple of activities here on campus as well. Uh, but the one that uh, that I attended this this afternoon was was a graduation at Napa High School, uh, and and I saw uh, you there. Um, uh, my my granddaughter my grand granddaughter is uh, graduating along with another eleven or twelve of my nieces and nephews, and of those uh, there's about eight of them that are, that are college bound. Uh, seven of those are coming here, and the other two or so are going to Davis and to Berkeley. So when they want Sunday money from Theo, they're not going to get any. Just, just those uh, that, are, that are coming here will we'll get the benefits. And then tomorrow, uh, my daughter will be graduating from Serena High School, and there's another four relatives there that will be coming to Napa College as well for the fall semester. So I'm doing my, my part of the outreach, Ron, so I may get a cut out of it or something. But, uh, but no, again, the, these are the activities that, that we're involved with. And I uh, wanted to also um, recommend uh, Rafa Manso. Our, our president of student government, he has done an exceptional job in the few days that he's, uh, that he's been in this role. Uh, it was evident, because uh, I attended one of the days there uh, of the retreat, and it was evident that, uh, that Mr. Manso's energy and dedication to making student government the best it can be is very evident. So I wanted to, first of all, you say thank you very much for, for your energy, and I hope to be working with you very closely this whole year. Thank you for, thank you for joining us, by the way. I did mean to say that. Thank you so much. He re- he did. He he went up to our retreat and um, yeah. Sorry for for telling everyone this, but um, he always gets lost 
um, on his way up the mountain in Occidental. It's a beautiful mountain, beautiful trail, but like he gets lost every year. Uh, it, I don't remember if he got lost, but he was right on time this year, pretty much. So, yeah, thanks so much for braving the wild, Dasker Deharo, <laughs> Mr. Boss Man. Thank you. Thank you, but I got lost on the way back. So, uh, well, <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> seriously, seriously, I mean, I don't know what it is. Google gives me all the directions, but I don't know what it is. I always get lost either coming, I mean, going up or coming coming back. So, right. the next time I'll take Uber. And he, and he gave us the state of the college, really. He, he gave us a really lovely, um, you know, seminar, just a quick little debrief, really. Um, not really a seminar, but just to, to the, the new student body, the new student government board on where the college is in certain respects. And um, it just inspired all of us so much. And, it, and again, really helped. Thank you. Thank you, Oscar. Um, Vice President of Instruction, Eric. Good evening. Uh, so for a uh, few things for you tonight. So first off, I want to thank the board for their attendance at all of the end of the year ceremonies, activities, awards, pinnings, everything else. I've been seeing a lot of you in the last few weeks, and it's been a real pleasure. Um, so thank you for coming out to the respiratory therapy pinning ceremony where we had 17 students who completed the respiratory therapy program. Uh, for the associate degree nursing pin pinning ceremony as well, we had 33 students complete that program, and we have some of the fine faculty from that program in the room with us here tonight, too. So thank you for coming to that. Uh, we had the McPherson Distinguished Teaching Award Ceremony, uh, and we had attendance from board members, and we genuinely appreciate that. Uh, the scholarship ceremony with the foundation was wonderful to see the students receiving um, the, the benefit from the foundation, and we really appreciate that partnership and the relationship that we have with them, and it was great to see board members there as well. And then finally, of course, the commencement ceremony. Um, Oscar, Oscar and, and Martha, who I thought I saw here earlier, um, did an extraordinary job, and um, the commencement ceremony was tremendous. Thank you to all of the board members who were able to be there um, at, the, at the commencement ceremony last week. So a few other things we've got from the instructional side of the house. Um, summer classes are starting next Monday, so we are right on top of our next session, and we have good enrollment at this point. We have a big schedule of classes that we've put together for the summer, and we're very optimistic about how those are going to go. We're filling them, and things are looking good at this point. Um, working with bringing new faculty on board. So you guys have approved a whole bunch of new faculty in the last couple of months, and again, I can't extend my thanks enough to you for that particular one. Um, but one of the great things about the jump that we got on the hiring process this year and that we were able to get things done so quickly, thanks to Charo and her uh, all of her wonderful people in her shop and everybody else who's been working on that. We've actually been able to start getting those new faculty on board now. And so they've been coming to campus. We are getting rooms arranged. We are getting all of their paperwork turned in so that when they come in August, they're actually going to know what room to go to and uh, um, who they're teaching, what their classes are, and all of the rest of that. So we really appreciate the effort that everybody's put in on that. Um, it's really given us a good jump on that. And uh, on that front, too, so the onboarding of the new faculty next year, I'm working with Dean Rebecca Scott right now on what we call our new faculty learning community um, that was put in place many years ago where um, new faculty for their first year of employment here, rather than have an academic senate committee assignment, their assignment is to be a part of what we call the new faculty learning community. And we meet with the faculty on a regular basis to not only talk about the about the uh, mechanics of being a teacher here, which forms to fill out, where to turn in this, that, or the other, who to ask for particular things. Um, but we go over, uh, it, it, we develop a bond between this group of faculty uh, and give them a safe space to ask dumb questions about how to do this, that, or the other, and to talk to each other. And 
bond over their experiences as first new year faculty. Um, additional things we've got going on. So the instructional area is um, set right now to start working on planning initiatives for the coming year. We've finished the planning and budget process for this year, and we had a couple of really exciting things come up as possibilities in the next in the next few years. So I have gathered together uh, my A-team of deans, and we're going to be working this summer getting started on a couple of key initiatives that that I'm hoping to talk to the board about this coming fall. Uh, the first one is really looking at what we do with course scheduling at our off-site locations, our relationship with the high schools, and how we're packaging courses for the Upper Valley Campus and for the South Valley Campus. And so I've tasked my A-team to put together an initial draft of a plan, a three-year plan for really putting together a comprehensive, well-thought-out plan for how we're going to go about doing that so that we're offering students meaningful packages of courses at each of those locations. So um, we're hoping in this fall that I'll be able to bring that back in for you and um, kind of lay out um, how instruction envisions that going forward in the future. And uh, to that end, um, uh, this is going to be complementary to the work that Oscar's, uh, Oscar and Oscar's people have done with all of the outreach and the tremendous work that they've done with that in the last, in, in the last many years, actually, they've been doing it. They've really laid the groundwork for instruction to be able to come in and then be the other partner in that outreach process where we're developing the courses that the students would then be enrolling in um, as, him, as, as Oscar and his folks take care of getting the students enrolled. Uh, to that end, also, I'm meeting with the superintendents, uh, all the superintendents in the county, actually, at the end of the month. Um, we've been in conversation on and off during the year with all of the vice presidents, Ron and the superintendents, and um, I'm going to be meeting with them at the end of June in particular to talk to them about putting some strategies together to get our faculty together, to get our faculty in key areas and key pathways together to have conversations about what they are teaching students at the high school and what we're expecting of those students when they walk on our campus. We've done things like this in the past, but we've decided it's time to do it again. So I'm really excited about this meeting that we've got coming up here at the end of June. So I'll be meeting with all of the superintendents at that meeting. Um, and then finally, I want to I want to uh, just highlight uh, a, a recent success in a program. So our welding program did another certification day a couple of weeks ago. Um, so a certification day in our welding program is where our welding faculty have brought in um, uh, uh, industry representatives to administer uh, test to the students where they can get industry certificates that will help them with their employment uh, once they finish with the program and go out into the field. And so at this last one, we had 14 students who received at least one certification and three students that uh, received two certifications during this day and during this process. And uh, one of the things that Eric Wade, our faculty member in the welding program, likes to point out on this is that this is far above the industry pass rate for these certifications. Um, so, again, yet another wonderful example of a quality program here at Napa Valley College. And I will leave it at that for Eric, this evening. Quick question on that. Yeah. So what, where do they, what do those certificates help them? What kind of jobs does it help them uh, to move into? Are we looking at who, Diana? So I have my dean of career technical <laughs> education out here. Um, are, do, we, do we have an idea of what specific areas within the industry So the jobs first, and then the certificate is determined after that? Is that what you're saying? So the certification does it. It says, I'm ready to do that. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, so 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 a welder working uh, working with stainless steel, let's say, and working in the wine industry and doing stainless has a very different set of skills than somebody working with plate steel building ships. So there's the, there's a whole variety across across the board for welding, and so the certificates are geared towards that. Thanks. I think so. You know, as a piece of that, you know, I think the uh, the percentage of employment out of welding is uh, nearly a hundred percent, if not over, if not a hundred percent, every semester. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have students not finish the program because they're already employable. Yeah, yeah. not good, but <laughs> but but an excellent thought. I don't want that happening in nursing, right? I mean, it isn't. It's like, oh. um, yeah. Um, the um, uh, thank you so much, um, Vice President of Administrative Services. Um, Michael had Michael. I'm so sorry. You just, were gonna, yeah. Thank you. I just wanted to add that, and you brought up the stainless steel at the the railroad. Um, Different sorts of welding certification is necessary as well, and uh, a whole lot of jobs in that that field. But the uh, what usually comes with that requirement is a commercial driver's license, along with that welding certificate, because usually they're driving out in the middle of nowhere, a very uh, a a truck that's overweight with all their equipment on it, and so that's that might be something else we can look into. An additional certification. Diana's writing a new cert, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's good. Thank you. Chair, is it okay if I ask a question? Of course. Yeah, I'm not the chair. Okay. Okay. Chair, yes. is it fine if I ask a question? Go right ahead, ma'am. So I'm looking at the reports of the verif- for the math department, the verification team report from spring 2012, and the members were uh, Kate Ben Scooter, Fane Hancock, and Greg Seaworth. Those names might ring a bell. Mm-hmm. And in the report, they state over 50% of our math courses are taught by adjunct faculty members who have no paid office hours. Um, so this is not part of the report that I was giving, Chair. Um, if the board would like to direct me or, or ask the president yeah. to have a report on the math department. Absolutely. You know. and, and as you get your feet kind of grounded on, on, the, on the protocol here, piece. So the, the, um, the, at this point, it would be very appropriate to to ask or talk questions or comment on, on what the report, report. was. Okay. But there'll be, a, there'll be a time for that. I hope we, we can get to it maybe tonight in some other aspect. Okay. Thank you. My apologies. And then... Oh, no, no problem at all. Don't... You know. Did you have something? No. Okay. All right. Go ahead. Um, Bob, please. Just very quickly, an update on two things in administrative services. First of all, we have six vacancies, three in business and finance and three in institutional technology. Our three vacancies in business and finance, our controller position, we have the the first meeting of our hiring committee on Monday to start reviewing applications and move forward with that. Our grants and foundations accountant, that position closes tomorrow, and so that group will be meeting within the next two weeks to start that review. And finally, our payroll supervisor, we do have someone serving on an interim basis in that position right now. We're reviewing that job description and we expect that or hope to have that posted by the end of June. In institutional technology, our three vacancies are an application support analyst, someone who can help us with our colleague enterprise resource planning system, a network specialist to support our uh, network person, 
and the director of IT, and all three of those positions close next week, and so we'll be moving forward with reviews there. The other thing I wanted to report is that the audit committee earlier tonight met with John Dominguez from our independent certified public accounting firm, and we talked about the audit calendar and the accelerated audit calendar for this year with the goal being uh, audit will begin, the the um, audit has already begun, but the uh, the site visit for follow-up will be in August. Traditionally, it's been in September. And so what that means is that by October, we'll have drafts of the audits and that at the November board meeting, all audits, including the foundations, will be presented to the board, first presented to the audit committee, and then at the November board meeting uh, presented to all board members for approval, which is in advance. State requires us to have that accepted, presented and accepted by December so that it can be filed with the state chancellor's office by December 31st. Historically, we have presented those audit reports in December. This year we intend to send them or, or uh, present them to you in November. So that's my report. That's great. Thank you. Um, Charles, please. Well, in human resources, not only are we supporting Bob and his numerous vacancies, um, we all finally we also have submitted our applications to the chancellor for the multiple methods. This demonstrates all of the creative and wonderful energy around supporting equity and inclusivity um, uh, activity on the campus, but also diversifying our methods um, for our recruitment. Um, I do anticipate on presenting um, elements of that application as well as our updated EEO plan at our July meeting for um, you all to review and hopefully support. Um, in addition to that, um, our classification and compensation committee um, have met and um, have agreed on a vendor, and we've completed the references and will also be presenting a contract um, at our next board meeting for this vendor. Uh, for those of you who don't remember, this is as a result of uh, negotiations with our SEIU um, and um, through mutual agreement with our administrators and confidential staff to um, enter into a classification compensation study. So we're very eager to get that going, and I look forward to sharing more information with you all at our next staff meeting, our next board meeting. Thank you. Thank you. Um, let me move to the second piece here then, just the president's report, and um, a couple things, um, most, of, most of which has already been covered, and that's good. Um, I just would draw your attention a little bit to the um, there's a the same chart that we have shown you before under the uh, 2018 June bond feasibility information. Just kind of keeping it front and center a little bit. We're still working forward on on um, um, this timeline as we explore just feasibility at this point, and we're talking with the communication specialists and and um, I think over the Summer, we will we will solidify on one for sure, and and uh, kind of move forward. Um, nice, very nice letter. We received a very nice letter from the Taxpayers Association today, inviting the college and me to speak with them about um, how we can work closer, more hand in glove on this issue. And um, so that was um, that was a very nice outreach, and I appreciate um, Jack Gray and and um, Leon Browning for um, doing that. 
So um, in terms of that, I think um, I'm just going to turn it over a little bit. And the next piece here is in Napa Valley College 75th. I asked, I've asked Doug to do the, the – it's a very short PowerPoint – just kind of introducing this topic tonight. Um, it's going to be launched soon, and it's a year-long um, presentation. As we heard today on the Bracero um, project, it, it, it's remarkable how much and how deep Napa Valley College is in the in the community. And our 75th also aligns with the the Bracero movement from 1942 to, to now. So there are many, many wonderful strands that um, we'll be working on. Thank you, Doug, and uh, congratulations as um, PIO. Oh, and thanks again, Board, for your confidence. Um, I plan to earn it. Thank you very much. Um, I guess the uh, Office of Institutional Advancement project is a year-long deal, and I'm learning a lot about the college just by starting on the research. You know, in, in 42, uh, we had a world war. The college attracted people who needed to find jobs to build ships and win the war, and we're still doing it. You know, you heard about welding. Uh, we're still doing that. We are part of a 75-year-old tradition here. So um, I'm real happy to, to be researching that and getting that going. Um, Raphael talked about legacy. Uh, we're planning... Um, on page two, space bar over there. Uh, we're planning to involve alumni, uh, students, basically students who have used the college, uh, benefited from the college, and built lives because of the college. And we're asking them, we're going to be asking them to come back and talk to the community about the college. Tell us their stories. We're using the newspaper to do that and... Uh, Hopefully, we're going to get some buy-in from the community. Uh, at the same time, we're asking our, our staff here on campus. Uh, Dr. Jerry Somerville wrote a, a real nice uh, summary about the college's history. We're going to use his work to celebrate the college's 75 years. So we're going to, we're going to invest in um, internal and external stakeholders to tell the college's story. Um, there is a steering committee. Whoops, steering committee that. Um, wait, wait, wait. Where to go back? That's being formed, and I'd like to invite you to uh, attend this meeting on twenty sixth. It's uh, room seventeen sixty three A. We have uh, several people interested in being on the steering committee, but we can always use more. Uh, we'd like uh, to make sure that uh, everybody's included. The partners include the foundation. Um, we'd like your help developing uh, anniversary celebration plans. And uh, if you know anybody who, who would like to be part of that committee, please send them to the meeting. There's a parade coming up. We have about 30 people signed up, and, uh, you know, we're throwing candy to the kids. This is a fun event. You get to wear a T-shirt. Um, it's it's going to be good. Other other events we're talking about, uh, you can see here. Uh, but, you know, there are more. We can, we can use more ideas, and we're meeting with people to get those ideas. Uh, 
We'll be branding on campus. We'll be doing, um, well, all kinds of things, including um, on, on our website, we're going to have a timeline that's 75 years of activities involving the college and the community. Uh, we're part of the community, and uh, we're going to make sure that the community understands how the college interacts. Uh, I don't think there's anything really uh, surprising about celebrating 75 years. I think it's obviously a good thing. You heard today the Rosero program starting 75 years ago. Uh, I think that's a great idea. We maybe incorporate some of that into this observance. And uh, we're open to ideas. So please bear with us as we develop this idea and uh, as we unveil it as we go. It should be very exciting. Thank you, Doug. Um, I think that the, the core here was really it, generally a college will rally around a visible mark or a promotional aspect, you know, for two or three years. Um, ours has been over the last couple of years, you know, NVC is number one. You'll, you'll start to see that sublimate a little bit as the 75th anniversary, 75 years of service to the community starts to pick up. So that's really the uh, the message that we want to send to the Valley, and we're very excited about it. I think you'll all be involved. I'd love for you to start um, getting out there and talking with people. We'll be developing um, the one piece that, that is there. We'll be developing some talking points for the board as well. And, and hopefully you, you can um, do presentations to community and civic groups, to the groups that you, to which you belong, and, and get out there. And if you need help on that, you can see your fellow board member, uh, Jennifer Baker, who's an expert in this, right? and, and, um, and go get them. Um, thank you for that. I think we, um, that we have such a big agenda. I want to make sure that I just move to – I don't think you have another, uh, another report, Doug. Thank you. So um, with that – Trustee Marks. Oh, I had a question about your report about the. Sorry to go back to the bond feasibility. I was wondering who's going to be in these meetings with the, the different firms and part of the selection process for that. The uh, well, we're we're doing a couple different things. Cabinet will be involved in that, and then we have other constituent leaders. So basically, the council of presidents are all involved in uh, in that piece. And I reversed the order tonight, as you probably figured out, doing, doing the cabinet reports. But um, I, I felt it was a good thing to do. Because so. there was so much that they had I had seen asked them. It was on my report. So I thought rather than me covering it all and stripping them of their um, excitement, I'm, I'm, we'd do the opposite. Thank you very much. So we're on to. Uh, on to minutes. Mm -hmm. All right. We're on to approving the minutes. And if there is there is some, uh, an amendment to the minutes. But yeah, no, I. I move that we postpone approval because they weren't up last night when, at 11 o'clock when I was preparing for this meeting, and I worked all day, and I haven't had a chance to read them. So I okay. move that we postpone until the next month. Okay. If there's no objection, we'll postpone the minutes approval to next month. Everyone in agreement with that? Any? Kyle, you look like you have some question to it. Okay. All right. So minutes uh, postponed to next month. Thank you. Okay. So now, oops, sorry. Let me stay here at the mic. So information, informational discussion items. 
And I believe we have Diana. No? Career technical. Is that? I'm looking at this too, Diana. I'm sorry. I think it's, if it's not you, we're going to all figure out what to do. Is it you? Are you sure? It is. Yes. <laughs> You're on. Yes, yes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um. So we're required to do a biannual review of our programs, and we're supposed to look at three things in that review. Does the program meet a documented labor market demand? Does it represent unnecessary impact on neighboring colleges? And what is that program's demonstrated effectiveness? So what you have on the first two pages is a whole bunch of data. And one of the things that we are actually going to be looking at addressing is the collection of the data regarding our certificates. And you may recall from other board meetings, for those of you that have been here for a while, that I have come before and mentioned that we're not collecting the data for our local certificates and we're not collecting some of the data for our transcripted certificates that aren't showing in our data. And it's negatively impacting our funding but it also negatively impacts the way the program looks when you kind of tally up what the students have earned. But the main thing to notice is that going through all the data, all of the programs except one have a demonstrated labor market demand. And that program that doesn't show a demonstrated labor market demand is on the next page. Oh, do I do it? Oh, I have con- Ooh, the control. Um, and that is our psychiatric technician program. And you'll notice that there is a decrease of a little over 20% in labor market demand from the data sources that we use. However, there is a little note at the very bottom that says, while the program doesn't have a documented demand from the data sources, our local um, labor market, our local employers say that they will hire our students. So they're waiting for our students. It just doesn't show up in the data that we collect in the system. If we had a program that was showing such a decrease in demand that didn't have a local industry saying we hire your students, um, we would probably be having a different dialogue within our program about um, about continuation of that particular program. But that is not the case in this situation. Um, the next thing is that we had to look at was undue impact on neighboring colleges, and that's on the next page that I get to move. Okay. And we check that before we send our programs to the regional consortia, our Bay Area consortia. We do not have an impact. Um, we don't negatively impact our neighboring colleges, which for us is Santa Rosa and Solano. So that one is pretty much set. And just so you know, if we were to start a new program, we have to take it, well, in fact, we just had two welding certificates approved through the BA, three, approved through the BACCC this past month. And with, in order for it to be approved there, Santa Rosa and Solano both had to agree and the other colleges in our Bay Area region that we were not going to take students from them if we have those certificates here. And the third thing we look at is the demonstrated effectiveness. And right now it show, our, our data shows that our students are 
reporting that they are employed 40 to 100% of the time in their field of study. And you may recall from an email I sent out, gosh, maybe a month ago now, about the STARS Awards. Awards. So our students are actually showing employment in their field of study, are showing increased wages, and are um, showing success in industry after they leave us. So our programs are in good standing and seem to be doing good things for our students. Amy. Um, on the second page, should the second column be California? I just don't know if you have to submit this to somebody because the both columns say Napa County on the second page. Oh. Um, yes, it should. Okay. I'm Sorry about that. Just in case, I don't know if you have to submit yeah. it to somebody. So I was surprised that uh, viticulture and winery technology was as low as it was. <laughs> well, the I was actually just at a meeting today at Chabot College where we were looking at data and how much we could drill down. And wouldn't it be cool if we could find out this? And it is really, really cool. But data doesn't always show the real picture for where we're at. So, so we know that it's not always... Um, representational, and it also depends on where they're getting employed at. For example, hospitality data usually looks low, too, because hospitality um, is lumped in in a lot of the data in viticulture. So it, it, it's you have to – we don't – we use the MC for this because it's kind of a, a, a quick and thorough – way to do it, but it doesn't show the whole picture. There are other sources that we use when we're really looking at the nitty-gritty of a program to see what it shows. Um, so I don't know that it's an exact in predictor of what will be there. I was kind of wondering, maybe for that one, just, you know, there's only so much growth that you can have in this valley in terms of the wine industry, and, you know, maybe that's a reflection of being tapped out a little bit. I don't know. Yeah. And a lot of a lot of our students in that particular program are already employed, so they're not looking for a new job. There doesn't have to be an opening yeah, for them. They're perfecting and upskilling what they currently know how to do. Well, does growth have to be additional, adding on to what's already there? Can it? Because there could be people coming in and out, so there are jobs. But is this saying that there has to be? Do you know what I mean? Like you look at employment growth, you're looking at new jobs okay, opening. So, yeah, so there which is jobs, different. It doesn't capture upskilling and promotions and better um, skilled workforce. I think a couple of years ago we had the same conversation I, prior, <laughs> maybe, but I can't remember. It's really yeah. the underemployment of folks in jobs who come here for certs or other other degrees and stay, sometimes stay at the same place or move right. along, but they're really difficult to track. Yes. This kind of information. Yes. I have a quick question about on your summary findings, the third um, bullet. Yeah. Is it the employment rate between forty and hundred? That's a really wide gap. Is 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 that representing specific types of certifications? It's it's a number that is used that um, we. We didn't disaggregate it by program or by um, industry. We do a general kind of rounding. We do. We can dig that deep to see what the percentage. It's it's takes um, countless hours to do that, 
And we are current. One of the things we talked about today, actually, was finding a way within our using the launch board system to drill down that precisely, so you can say in in. Since we've been talking about the welding program, I'll use that. So in the welding program, we have this percentage of students that complete, this percentage that are employed in in industry, um, and this percentage that are making a livable wage. But in order to find that data, it takes um, an immense amount of effort on the point of a researcher. But So they're looking at altering the way um, the launch board system works to see if we can more easily get that data. Otherwise, it's just a... What you see there, a big group. And even with that data, you have to kind of take that data within and have it inform what's going on and be a look at it, but it's not always exact to what's actually happening. Any other questions? Yes. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. And now we have our uh, annual visit from Daryl Whitaker. Welcome. Stay with me because she's somebody that I really rely on when I'm giving this report, and she's usually sitting at the table over here the last couple of years. So um, never did I think that she was going to be my dean when I took the position, and it's so wonderful that she is because she has a lot invested in the Child Development Center. So the, the report itself is a lot of statistics, it's boring stuff. I said that last year to the board. Um, so I really want to kind of focus in on the relationships that we've made um, with our students. We serve about 55 to 65 uh, students through child care and education. So those are students who bring their children to the Child Development Center. Um, and I have that in the report. We'll be able to look at that. But we're asked by the state to give a report on areas where we are not meeting um, specific standards and areas where we are meeting and exceeding uh, standards. I'd like to report that we are meeting and exceeding standards, but we do have to find some things that we need to work on. So um, they give us some tools to work with. And do I have control over this? Okay. So these are um, three or four of the tools that they give us, a program review instrument, which looks at uh, 20 different areas of the program from top to bottom, the desired results parent survey, which we give to our parents each semester, and they fill that out and give us information. They are able to write uh, information into those surveys as well as answer the questions. They um, also have the opportunity to keep anonymous when they're giving us those surveys. So they can write whatever they like and, and not have to feel like there's any kind of repercussion for uh, their opinions. Age-appropriate environment rating scale is something that we use in our classrooms to look at the overall classroom and interaction with the, the teachers and the children to see if we are set, it, set up appropriately and um, we're meeting all those um, standards. And then the desired results developmental profile, um, DRDP tech reports, that is um, that is an individual assessment that is done on each child in the program, and that's done uh, twice a year each semester. We, we uh, do the desired results developmental profile. So the, the, area, the things that we do is we take and collect all this information for all of these uh, tools. And so we hold parent advisory meetings, survey parents, 
uh, monitor the classrooms, assess each child, conduct staff meetings, uh, and do a lot of planning, report and health and safety concerns, complying with all our state regulations. So we have to find something that we're that we're not meeting a standard in. So we look at some of these tools, and in one of the areas on the parent survey, parents voice the need for extending hours of operation in order to take classes and work later in the day. So right now our uh, subsidized classrooms close at 3.15 Monday through Thursday and at 2.15 on Friday. Um, A lot of times parents are scrambling to come and pick their children up at 3.15 because their classes are letting out and some of our parents desire to take classes uh, later in the day as well. So this is one of the concerns. It's something that Diana and and, uh, Faye Smiley and I have been talking about. What What can we do to help students? And so that comes later on as we look at um, the improvement action. The improvement action um, in this situation is to um, help our parents by extending our days. Uh, And we're going to do that incrementally. The parents kind of had that idea. We talked about it, is what if we just extend the day by 15 minutes till 3.30 or or 2.30 on a Friday? Will that help them and then be able to examine that um, reevaluate it, and then maybe extend another 15 minutes the next semester until we finally reach the desired uh, goal, which would be probably 5 o'clock, 5.30, something like that. So I might have skipped something in the parent survey. Um, so the Parent Advisory Committee came up with some of those ideas and thoughts as well of what we can do to help them. They've been voicing this. If you look back at our uh, surveys over the years, Parents have always said that. We wish we had longer hours. Um, we do have our, um, our tuition-based classroom, and that tuition-based classroom is open until 5.30. So those parents are getting their needs met. And then we have our parents who are looking at that and saying, well, I wish we had a classroom that could be open until 5.30 as well. Um, key findings in the environmental rating scale were um, for our preschool classroom Uh, personal care and routines, and then also for our infants and toddler classrooms, the same area was looked at, personal care and routines. And one of the areas that's looked at is very specific about hand washing. So they're looking at when children enter the classroom, they come in in the morning, are they washing their hands right when they walk in? And then are they washing their hands after each, um, each activity that they do? And then when they do wash their hands, are they washing their hands in a specific way for a specific time and turning off the faucet with a towel? Um, And then are the teachers doing the same thing following that same pattern? And so the person we had, this is our first time that we had an outside party come in, do um, the evaluations of our classrooms. This person came from a different county, um, non-biased, and said, nope, you're not washing your hands the right way. So now we have to look at our classrooms. We have to look at how we're washing hands. And uh, we will be doing some training, which is our action item, our improvement action. We'll be doing some training. Um, both Jayton Carey from uh, the local planning council, she is on our quality counts, Napa County, um, and also Michelle Burhorn. She's adjunct faculty here, and she is with First Five. She will be helping us with learning how to wash our hands properly. Um, and, and helping to, to teach the children how to do that properly. Um, the next area is our desired results developmental profile. The one area where we were deficient for uh, our preschool classroom was visual and performing arts. 
Um, so you can imagine what that would look like for uh, preschoolers. They're not going to see the ballet. Uh, they are dressing up. They are telling stories. They are singing songs. They are dancing, those types of things. And so um, our score on that was just percentages, a couple of percentages off of where we should be. Um, and so the, the teachers and I have discussed what we would do in that situation. We prov- provide them more opportunities, more uh Music, more instruments, more clothing, those types of things to enjoy the visual and performing arts. Um, The next area was for our our infants and toddlers, and it was approach to learning self-regulation. So you can imagine a two-month-old with self-regulation. These are things that the teachers, uh, these are the improvement actions that I'm just talking about. Um, the teachers in this situation are going to talk to the babies and help them and provide more interactions and more toys for them and those types of things. So very basic things. Um, and so then we look at the areas where we met uh, all of the standards. And so we use the same tools to do that. And uh, these are the areas that I talked to you about with the uh, program review instrument. We look at all of these and see how the program from top down meets all of the standards and how we're in compliance. And we have met every single standard. We are in complete compliance with all of these. Um, So we take a look at each one. And so I kind of point out the ones that I feel like we're doing the best in. And I feel like the the thing that we're doing our best is working with our parents and our our communication and our um, relationship with parents. Um, relationship with our students as well, and then our relationships with the children. Um, and our par- parents are desiring more communication, which is a good thing. So they have the communication. They're wanting to know other ways that the teachers can communicate with them. So we're using text messaging, phone calls, those types of things throughout the day. And we have a software that we've used. Uh, we piloted a couple of years ago, Learning Genie, which allows the, the teacher to send text messages to the parents that they can get throughout the day about their children's progress. Um, We're also setting up a place. We have a resource library that we set up recently, and we're setting up a space for parents so that we can have some parenting materials there, some books so they can learn about parenting. And that's something we're going to be talking about in the future, too, is maybe a parenting class. (laughs) So... Community involvement is a big one for, for me and for our center. We're very involved with uh, the, a very new program, which is Quality Counts, uh, Napa County, which is working with us. It's made up of a consortia uh, th- of people from our county, and we're all working together to improve the quality of all child care and development in Napa County. And we, we are spearheading that as, um, as a center here uh, in Napa County. So we, we were used as the pilot for this whole program. So it's our data that got put into the program, and then they're looking at how we can improve our program to make it better, but then what we can do to help other programs as well. We're working closely with NCOE, uh, Napa County Office of Education. We will be doing a uh, summer institute in August where we will be joining with their staff and our staff and working on professional development together. It's something that we've been working on for a couple of years to get uh, realized. Professional growth and development, Charo, thank you for helping us with that, Um, getting people hired and keeping people uh, trained and healthy and 
and uh, in the workforce. So this is the part that I really enjoy sharing. 100% of our parents that were surveyed feel, felt that their children are safe and happy in the program. And that percentage hasn't changed since I've been here that I know of. It's been 100%, and I like that percentage. 27% were able to accept a job. 68% were able to keep a job. 13% were able to accept a better job. Good for them. And then 93% were able to attend educational training programs. And most of those are here at Napa Valley College. <coughs> so these were comments that the parents made. Um, I included this in the report as well that you have the PDF of, but uh, these were some of the examples. Very happy with the CDC program and how, as a parent, I'm able to trust all the staff. Very satisfied with the program and the way my child is learning new things every day. It's awesome. Um, those types of things. I even record the ones where they say the program is great, those types of things. So, um, So this is where Diana, this is why I asked Diana to stay with me. We've been working for the last uh, two and a half years very, very closely, uh, CFS and E, um, Faye Smiley, Diana and I working very closely together to try to make this into a model um, lab for CFS and E students and also for our nursing students who are using the lab. Um, and this last semester we saw numbers that were just phenomenal. So I'm going to share some of those things with you. Um, there's a mistake in there. It's not supposed to be the year 2006 to 2017, but 2016. Um, so when I first got here, I started counting students that were here from 2014 to 2015. Um, and we had 650 students. That would be nursing students and um, CFS and, and, and E students uh, in the lab. In 2015-16, we had 750. In, two, in fall 2016, I started counting, and I started getting scared. We served 300 students in fall semester of 2016. We served 1,061 students just last semester as a lab. That's a crazy number. We had 110 nursing students come through. That's, so thank you. That was nice. And they were working on their pediatrics, was, which was new uh, this semester as well. So, um, so I, it, the impact of that is hard to kind of fathom. We have five classrooms. We have to find placements for all of these students to come in. Our um, capstone class, which is uh, CFS 223, had 16 students, which record number, a record number uh, since you can remember teaching. Um, so, and if you want to say anything about it, Diana, uh, but we had 16 uh, in capstone, 12 of which were in the lab. The other uh, students went to mentor sites and then... Uh, of those 12, six of them were in, our, in one preschool classroom. And I worked with six of them. I mentored three of them uh, last semester because we were so impacted that I was involved in the classroom as well. It was an exciting um, adventure. So that's something I wanted to share with you. But we had something that was shared at the capstone party at the end of the semester. Uh, one of our students, Taylor, uh, Vivieros um, 
she shared it, and it kind of stunned some of us. She was a child in the CDC program years and years ago and has now completed her education for child development um, here at NBC. So that's exciting. We have another student, Diana Cabrera. She is taking, uh, she took 123 this semester. She's been working with us as an aide in the CDC, and she was a child in the program. So we've come full circle, which is great. Um, and then you probably noticed in the news, um, in the register, I think it was last night, is a, uh, one, of, one of our children who was, who was a student here at, at uh, the CDC at Napa Valley College has just uh, received the Fulbright um, spot in London, and we were excited about that. Her mother is also one of our, our assistant teachers at the, at the um, CDC. So everything's coming full circle. I think the relationships is what I really want to focus in on rather than those statistics, and I'm really excited. That concludes mine, and I open it up for any questions you might have. Thank you. Any questions? You kind of answered it, but when I was reading about the parents asking for um, parent parenting skills, parenting education, and um, I was wondering if you ever offered a formal parent education class, or if you refer them to like Cope that offers those kinds of classes. That's the type of thing is we can offer the referrals, but right now Faye and I have been really talking about you know if this is something that's going to be ongoing, then maybe we open this up for. Um, a parenting class eventually. Would it be so something it, that you would bring in an agency like Cope to teach it, or you would teach it yourself, or you not you're just kind of exploring it at this Anna point? Anna just said we have one. It's on the book. So, so it's we just... We have a parenting class. It hasn't been offered for a few years, but we are looking at offering it again. And the trick is finding a Has the college ever partnered with maybe an outside agency coming in and teaching a class? Like, I just saw a presentation by Cope, and they were talking about their triple P class, and it's evidence-based. And that's, and being, that's being offered. So I, I brought that up in our, um, our parent uh, advisory committee is uh, foster kinship here in education works with triple P. And those things are, sorry, it's, are offered free of charge. So I've offered that to our parents as well. So okay. they're aware of that. It's just finding time and childcare for attending some of those things. Thank you. And then I forgot, we, I threw some pictures up here. Over the weekend, we had some playground equipment put in, thanks to um, our VP, Eric, and our um, dean, Diana, um, helped us with some equipment funding. So if you look at the pictures, that was the old slide on the left, and then that was torn out. Um, and then this new equipment was put in over the weekend. The Kiwanis Club volunteered their time. I volunteered my time. A few of us got involved and put that up um, on Saturday. So, very exciting things going on. So thank you for the equipment. We appreciate that. Yeah. Any other questions? Daryl, I just want to thank you. I went down and looked, you know, and we talked and met your staff and met the little guys down there. And you do, you do, I think the best way, it's an aging building and infrastructure. And so... But it is so well loved. I think that was the overarching piece. So, um, congratulations! Great report. Good work. Thank you. Thank you, Daryl. Thank you, Diana. <laughs> okay, and now we have review of the draft technology plan, and I believe that must be Mr. Parker. 
Thank you. So at previous board meetings, you've heard us talk about the technology plan, and so wanted to bring you an update of where the technology committee is and where we are with uh, developing this draft and what is included in the draft. So just to give you a brief overview of that draft technology plan, it will be coming back to you in the fall as a full plan for uh, hopefully adoption. So first of all, who is the technology committee? Well, it's made up of uh, representatives of faculty, classified staff, and administrators. So four faculty, two classified representatives, two administrative representatives, and then one student representative appointed by ASNVC. What you see on the screen, those are the members of the Technology Committee for 2016-2017. So those are really the folks who put this draft technology plan together and worked on the draft technology plan. What are some of the highlights or elements of this draft technology plan? It's really designed to do two things. First of all, it brings together things that are already in place or were already in place, things like the process for uh, developing a new technology initiative, a place to house technology policies and procedures, a place to identify classroom and office technology standards and what those would be. And then it also takes it a step further and looks at creation of a technology refresh policy, and we'll, we'll touch on that in a minute, identification of technology to be replaced under that technology refresh policy, identification of infrastructure upgrade needs, um, application development or upgrade priorities, and then outlining technology, institutional technology staffing, and a plan for vacancy replacement. So I want to talk, I want to touch on the, real, the key elements, the new features uh, that are included in the technology plan. Probably the most significant is development of a technology refresh policy. And when we talked about looking at a three-year financial forecast, when we talk about a little later tonight, the budget for 17-18, we reference the fact that there are numbers, there are dollars included in those budgets and in that three-year financial forecast to support the technology refresh policy as well as our scheduled maintenance policy or scheduled maintenance uh, needs for uh, the facilities department. So what are we proposing? Well, we want to look at a complete inventory and, and refresh our complete inventory of technology annually and replace all computer equipment after six years of use. We selected six years because we are currently purchasing equipment with a five-year warranty, and so this is just saying that the technology, that this equipment would be used one year beyond that warranty, but we would replace it after six years. Quite frankly, we do want to get to five years at some point, but we currently have some computer equipment on campus that is 10 years old, and so it will take us a few years to get to five years, but six years is a great starting point for us. 
It serves two purposes replacing that technology. First of all, it enhances the learning environment across campus and the office environment across campus. But also from a technological standpoint, we are currently inhibited or prohibited from introducing new versions of software because, quite frankly, some of that older equipment just can't handle. It just doesn't have the capacity to handle those upgrades. Uh, we have uh, computers on campus that cannot upgrade to Windows 10. They could, but they would be incredibly slow to respond if we did that upgrade. Uh, the other thing that we want to do by implementing the refresh policy is to take away the need, you know, when, in our past um, planning and budget processes, we often saw requests for money to replace 30 computers in a, in a lab. And it was because those 30 computers were seven years old. People shouldn't have to ask to have outdated equipment replaced. That should be part of the overall budgetary planning process for the district. So now what we would hope to see as we move forward, your budget request shouldn't be, I have computers that are seven years old and I need them replaced, but rather I am changing the way that I use computers in the classroom and I would like to switch from, and yes, Eric, I'm going to say this, I would like to switch from a, a Windows-based PC to a Mac uh, or I need greater capacity in those computers above and beyond what the, um, what the district standards are. So it's really enhancements rather than replacements that, that people should be looking for. Bob, can I ask a question? Yes. There? Are you planning on doing a big sweeping uh, replacement or refresh? Or are you going to stagger that so that not everything comes to the six-year point at the same time or what? So our first goal, um, uh, and we'll see this in a minute, but our first goal, identifying what we'll do in 2017 and what we'll do, I, we'll do in 2018 is really to get rid of the seven, eight, nine, ten-year-old computers on campus, then start looking at the things that are approaching six years or, or have passed, I should say, beyond the six years. Um, ultimately, once we address the, the pressing needs, then we can get to the point, once we get to the five years, the idea would be to stagger that so that, and, and in the technology plan, it indicates that we would, when we get to five years, the goal would be to be replacing 20% of the equipment on an annual basis. So it, we would get to that uh, uh, place where we would be staggering the, the replacements. Can I ask a quick question? Does the refresh policy involve the server room doing yes. anything with that? Yes. And and so it would that wouldn't necessarily be uh, a five or six year because server the life of a server tends to be a little longer than that, and the equipment that we're currently purchasing is much more configurable. I mean, we're really getting to the point where it's not so much a server box, but rather blades that go into a rack, and so it's much easier to maintain that and expand that than what we currently have in the server room. We've made some significant upgrades 
in the server room over the past 12 to 18 months, and we'll continue doing that. What if people say their computer's fine and they just want to keep it? Can they have that option? I'm just thinking of like the school district. Like we all got new laptops. Like we didn't ask uh-huh. for them. I didn't really need one, and it's like here's a laptop. Well, so I I <laughs> I would kiss the person who says I love my computer and and don't change it. That's typically not what I hear. But the the one issue with I love my computer, don't change it. Once it gets to be six years old or older then it makes it more difficult for us to roll out new initiatives because those initiatives won't necessarily work on that six-year-old computer. So we haven't seen a lot of people on campus who want to keep a seven, eight, or nine-year-old computer. But if they did, we would certainly have a conversation about that. Okay, yes. One one last question on the the servers is, has there been discussion about uh, moving the location, like an area that's larger and cooler? And so we are currently so we currently currently cool is not an issue because one of the things that we did this year was to enhance the um, the air conditioning unit that currently serves the server room. It's one of the things that we'll be talking about as we move into a, um, a uh, facilities master plan. Is that the best place for the server room? So one of the things that uh, we would engage outside consultants in as we talk to people about what, does it, what will it cost to do our overall uh, – implement our campus master plan, uh, where is the best place for that, uh, for that room? Okay, the next section is infrastructure upgrade needs. And this is probably the most significant in terms of dollars um, at one time or over uh, 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 three phases. So it is a three-phase project. It's to upgrade the data center. Currently, it says in the 1500 building, could potentially be somewhere else. Upgrade the fiber serving the campus and then upgrade switches throughout the campus. To fully implement all three phases would be over $1.1 million. And so this is something that we would potentially, so we can keep chipping away at it, replacing a, a, uh, replacing a switch when it fails, um, replacing fiber when it no longer works for us, but to do the upgrade that we feel we really need to do to position us for at least the next 10 years um, would be $1.1 million. And so this would be something that we would probably look to roll into a potential bond measure as an infrastructure upgrade. The refresh, that's something that we need to build into our general operating budget because we will always have computers that are five or six years old that need to be replaced. Infrastructure upgrade, that is something that would be a long-term upgrade for us and would fit well with any overall uh, construction project for the campus because we'd be running infrastructure to new buildings, improving infrastructure in our existing buildings that are being uh, renovated. And so this would improve the core that we have on campus to serve all of those buildings. Bob, can I ask a quick question about yeah. that? 
Um, I know um, that in some industries I've worked with that there are options for government grants for infrastructure type things and or just doing consortium based purchasing of stuff. Is that something that the college ever has opportunity to take advantage of? Yeah, so first of all the the quote for one point one million dollars, believe it or not, is consortium pricing. Um uh, it could be worse. Um, the, the other thing is that there are some grant opportunities that we're actually looking at with our current in, Internet service provider for the campus that could help us with building out that infrastructure as well. So the next area, we're just looking at application development and upgrade priorities. So these are, these are new um, Improvements to our colleague uh, student system, our colleague finance system, um, as well as some upgrades to other systems on campus that serve our uh, serve our students. So, for example, what we plan to do before the end of this year is implement on a, a limited basis our student planning module and the portal. You know, we've been talking about that for a while, but it's actually about to become a reality. Implement student financial aid self-service, so that means that the student can actually go to one place and walk through all of those steps and check to see if they've completed all of the steps that they need in order to apply for financial aid. Implement our SARS upgrade. SARS is the system that the counseling office uses for scheduling visits and tracking the uh, outcome of those visits for our students. Um, Implement the Synoptics financial reporting software, which we've talked about before, and implement position control, which is another thing that we've talked about before that will allow us to get a better handle on hourly employees and hourly employee hiring. Moving into 2018, we complete portal implementation, complete student planning, implement employee self-service, so that would be a place where now employees can go and enter their time if they're an hourly employee, look at their uh, pay stub uh, um, if they have a direct deposit, a place where they could uh, access their personal information and update their personal information, including updating their direct deposit information. So lots of things that we currently do manually that we would be able to do through this self-service. And then we know we need to replace the document imaging system that we're using. It is no longer going to be supported um, by the company that, uh, that sold it to us. And so we're, we have explored options, and we'll be looking at replacing that document imaging system in 2018. Do you and ever consider leasing that or... Well, it's not so much, it's the software more than the hardware. So that's just a general overview. So what are our next steps? Well, our next steps are to go reach out to all of our constituent groups on campus. I've already had a conversation with the Administrative Confidential Senate. I'll be visiting the Classified Senate next week to get their feedback on the direction that we're going in. We'll be reaching out to the uh, Academic Senate when they return in August. And the goal is to come back to you in the fall with a complete technology plan for your review and approval. Okay, thank you.
Thank you, Pop. Thank you very much. Okay, 12.1, approval of the consent calendar. Do we... Okay. Okay. Now, before we approve the... Okay. All right. Um, Manfair, let's go back to your question earlier to see if we, where we can fit that into the agenda this evening and, and make sure we... Uh, uh, we both discussed it and we'll do it later. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Thank you for reminding me. Yeah, thanks for reminding me. <laughs> okay. All right, great. So 12.1, approval of the consent calendar. Is there anything we're going to pull? Um, 12.2 and 12.4. Okay. Are we moving those in? Pardon me. Yes. No more. Any others besides both? No. Okay. All right. So let's move to approve the consent calendar minus 12.2 and 12.4. Move for approval. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Okay. Consent calendar passes with the removal of 12.2 and 12.4. They're going to remain where they are, and we will capture that. Okay. All right. All right. That's fine. So uh, I guess is there anything that Charo? Is there something that you need Charo to? I just I just had a question. Um, yeah, I was just wondering about the toward the end the T, TBD research analyst. I just was wondering because I know we recently hired a woman that replaced Chris Farmer, and I was wondering has she left and this is replacing her, or is this in addition to her? Which document are you in, or which attachment of 12.2? The human resources document. There's two documents. There's two Not documents. the addendum, right? It's on the first one, right, Robin? Yeah. Yeah, the addendum. Is it the addendum? Ah. So the very end, the very last page. Trustee Martheson, this is an additional point five being added to um, this area. This is not a replacement of any staff. Okay, thank you. That's the one. And and if I can add, this this position position is being paid out of student equity funds. Thank you. I just didn't know if she left already. <laughs> she was in addition. Thank you. This is the best place to work. No one is leaving. <laughs> okay. <laughs> can I have a motion to approve twelve point two? So move. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Motion carries. Twelve point two approved. Twelve point four. Yeah, I just I'm familiar with this program, so I just I just kind of wanted to correct the 
not the actual introduction to it, the public content, because I think it misrepresents the program. Um, it says, so it's about the Adelante program, the MicroNed program, and it says that uh, it's an enrichment program for at-risk high school students. And it's, it's really not. It's, it's for mi- migrant students, but it's not for this is not This is not the correct item. This is, the, this is a service that, that we purchased from, from UC Davis for the purpose of them providing us uh, weekly services here, here on campus. Well, I'm, are we on 12.14? You said, That's what you I said. said 12.4. You said 12.14. 12.4. Everybody heard 12.4. Okay, well, I meant to say 12.14, the migrant end program. Can we fix that? So what we'll do here is uh, let's go ahead and approve 12.4, and then we'll just take a question on that. Okay. Um, if necessary. So can I see a motion for 12.4? For approval. Second. All in favor? Aye. And any any objections? Motion carries 12.4 is approved. Is there a question then on 12.14 that we can cover? Because uh, it's already approved at this point. I just was wondering, it's not the actual item, it's the introduction, the background, and summary. I just thought it should say migrant students, not at-risk high school students. You can maybe talk about that, Oscar. But, I mean, it's very specific. It's not anybody can be in migrant ed. You have to be a migrant student. And they might be at risk, but not necessarily. It's just a very targeted program. So, anyway, I just thought it a little bit misrepresented the program. But the documents both say migrant. Yeah. The documents are correct. Okay. It's more the introduction. So that doesn't change anything in the no. approval. No, I just thought the for the public, because it's for the public content, maybe it could say migrant students. That's all. Okay. So we're able to move on then to uh, announcement of special meeting. We have a special meeting on uh, June 22nd. And do I need to say anything more than that, Ron? Is it, is it 4 o'clock? Is that right? 4 o'clock, I believe so. Yeah. It, I just was wondering, it doesn't say the business of that meeting in the public content. It just says it has the day and the time but and the place, but it doesn't say the business of that meeting. I think the um, there you don't normally hear it's it will be posted and go up, and there'll probably be a, some uh, some changes to it. I think there's already a one or two things that have been, that have been rolled in there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Just, I mean, the the main thing is for the public. There is a special meeting. Look out, you know, for it, and you you'll be able to see it. Okay. Fourteen point one. Robin. And may I say thank you. Mm-hmm. We appreciate all the work that you've done. Good evening, board. Um, so uh, attached to the agenda item were uh, the goals for the 2017 or year three of IIPI, or aspirational goals, and those were first presented at the last board meeting last month. Um, and at the time, board members made a request to make some of the goals more aspirational. So the results of that 
exercise are presented here and um, in the kind of purplish tone. Um, I've highlighted the changes since uh, what was presented last month. Thank you. Thank you. It looks wonderful. Yeah, it looks good. Is there a motion to approve? Move to approve. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 I didn't see online voting, so I thought there might have been a problem or something, so we're happy to do the online voting. Okay. Okay. Well, it might be good to use it so we can get up to speed on it. No, we have. We took a. Mo we have uh, first we and a second. Right. No, we voted. No, we did. No, we did. Did we vote though? Yes. Oh. <laughs> Another good reason for, for that to happen. Okay. <laughs> we we didn't capture the motion. So. Trustee Martinson. And then Mike. Trustee Baldini seconded, and it was. Yes. Thank you, Robin. Okay. 14.2, curriculum approval, spring 2017. Sarah, do you want to say something or... I can just give a brief, in, brief sure. introduction. So as if you guys you like will remember right from, I think it was the February meeting where Amanda and I did a presentation to you on the curriculum process and cool. all the steps that everything goes through before it actually comes uh, comes to you. So this is this month's curriculum packet uh, that went through all of those steps in that process that were described during our presentation to your board previously. Um, so this is coming through the curriculum committee. This then goes through the academic senate where the full packet has been approved. And we do all of that before we bring it forward to you. So even though I'm the one sitting here presenting it to you tonight, um, do understand that this is a presentation to you from uh, this is a document co that comes through the Academic Senate. Um, and it's gone through all of those processes to be presented to you tonight for approval. Thank you so much. Oh, I just had a question about the new program. Let's see, where is it? So any, there's some new culinary programs. Um, I'm just wondering, are those going to be fee-based, or are those for credit programs? These are credit. Yeah, so these are, these are part of the, the credit hospitality program. Okay. So um, right now our hospitality program, uh, Merrick McKeague, has been working really closely with Diana Shibodi, our dean for Career Tech out in the back. Um, and as we are bringing our new, our new kitchen facility online, they're bringing those credit culinary courses online as well. So this is the first, uh, and there are likely more to come. So those will be taught here on the main campus? Absolutely. That's yes. fantastic. Yes, we're very, very Thank excited about this. My students will be as well. <laughs> okay, so do we have a uh, motion to approve 14.2? Move to approve. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Wait, I thought we were. Oh, we're doing, Sorry. Oh, are we doing <laughs> that now? Okay. Oh, okay. All right, I'll take my vote back. Yes. I didn't hear any voting. Did you? Nope. People listening at home. <laughs> there it is. Uh, 
Good way around this one. Yeah, yeah. That's it. We're good way around this one. Has everybody voted? Uh, passed unanimously. Okay. And Mayor You don't have access. Oh, you don't? He, he doesn't have access okay. to poor doc shot. So tonight you'll have to vote uh, verbally. Verbally, yeah. Thank you. We'll fix that. Sorry. And your vote is? Aye. Thank you. Okay, 14.3, ratify financial documents. Do I see a motion? Move for approval. Second. I have a question on that. On the plasma cutter welder, that's a pretty exciting piece of equipment. Should be a press release on that. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's a big deal. That's outstanding. My congratulations. Is Doug here? Also, uh, still here Diana there? back there. Yes. That heats thing that cuts potentially with about twenty thousand degrees Celsius. I had sent three questions earlier for Dr. Parker, Bob Parker. Not not yet. Sorry. So. <laughs> so. Um, you, you had asked about Clark and Associates and the uh, $13,000 payment in Clark and Associates. The, that's the organization who assisted us in writing the grant, a number of grant proposals. And part of that contract was ongoing um, uh, review of the contract requirements for those particular grants. So uh, making sure that we are uh, achieving the goals of the grant and reporting those goals properly to the granting agency. So that's what that payment was for. Uh, you also asked about payments to the Department of General Services. And those payments to the Department of General Services are for gas service here on campus. We participate in a consortium where we receive gas coverage. Um, in the past, they had sent them electronically to the facilities department and on paper to accounts payable. They stopped doing that in the fall. It was actually uh, Linda Hunter, our person in accounts payable, who realized about a month or so ago that she stopped getting those invoices and contacted them, and so now they're sending them to her electronically. So this represents catching up on, uh, on those payments. And then also the third question is for the different payments um, to Dr. Kraft, contract expenses versus contract reimbursements? What, what are those? So in Dr. Kraft's contract, there are, there's an allowance for a certain number of expenditures on a monthly basis up to a certain dollar amount. Um, the differentiation, and so all of those, both contracts, contract expenditures and contract reimbursements, are all 
payments under his contract for those uh, activities that fall under the uh, uh, that particular portion of his contract. Contract expenses represent things that he used his district credit card for, and so they are expenses that the district is paying under that part of his contract. Contract reimbursements would be items that he paid for himself, either cash or a personal credit card, that he's then being reimbursed for. So they're all payments under that portion of his contract, but the differentiation between expenses and reimbursements has to do with how the payments were made initially. Is it? So I would assume that these are all under a contract that we've all approved. Right. So I'm just wondering, but typically would they usually be have the payee like for all the other expenses on the warrants? Not have it be so vague, like, you know what I mean? Like if it's a dinner or if it's the car or, I mean, I guess I'm wondering why it's so broad and why it doesn't actually say the payee and what it's for. So the payee is Dr. Kraft, so, right. But um, those contract expenditures are the purview of the board, and so it is the board of trustees that approved the contract. It's Mm -hmm. the board president who approves those contract expenses. So what comes to the business and finance office for reimbursement is the president of the board of trustees signing off on the requisition that was entered for those expenses or reimbursements. So that level of detail is maintained in the board office. Okay. Thank you. Okay. We have a first and a second on that, right? So, no, we did not. Oh, okay. I thought we did. Yeah, I thought so too. Yes, and Rosara's second. Yeah. Okay. All in favor? Oh. <laughs> oh, all in favor, Van Veer. Aye. <laughs> Thank you. Uh-uh. Hold on. I'm usually just the one sitting quiet and waiting for the little vote to pop up. Well, maybe not sitting quiet, but... <laughs> I didn't. I had an issue. It clicked me out, but my vote is yes. I'm trying to get back in. Uh, here it comes. There you go. Passed unanimously. Thank you. Approval of 14.4. Waiver of mandatory enrollment fees for dual enrollment students. Sarah, motion. Move to approve. Second. Helen. Manveer, how do you vote? Aye. <laughs> Called myself that time. Passed unanimously. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you very much. Appreciate this. Thank you. And then we have public comment on uh, 14.5 tentative budget. Uh, Mr. Gary Orton. 
Thank you, Gary Orton, resident of Napa. Uh, there's an old adage, show me your budget and I'll tell you what you value. So I've asked at other budget uh, presentations on this budget whether there was any money in the budget for campus housing development planning. And the answer was no. So I'm not sure what that tells me about what your value is on this. Does it mean you haven't given this much thought, haven't looked at what other colleges have spent? Does it mean it's a really, really big number that you don't want to put in there right now? Or it might be that, and I'm going to refresh your recollection of what Dr. Kraft said at the uh, presentation of the, on April the 20th. And there was a, on the slide that you saw, there was a number that said 25 to 100K for the district financing of expenses. Trustee Baker at Two, two uh, hours, 24 minutes, and 58 seconds into the meeting said, I have a question about the district financing the 25 to 100K. Is that money that's paid to the developer to do feas feasibility interruption? Well, it wouldn't be the developer. It would be to, once we have established a program manager, they probably won't charge a fee. But because they're kind of work on the possibility that this will work, right? If they do charge a fee, it'll be very minimal. But these fees are consultants' for consultants who would look at the endangered species, who would look at help us through the entitlement process if that's what we need. So maybe what you're saying is that you plan to let the barber advise the district free of charge whether it needs a haircut. Maybe you're going to not get an independent consultant to give you advice. That's very, very bothersome. If that's the value, you really need to talk about that right now. This is your chance. Do you, the board, have input of what that number is going to be in there for housing planning? I'd be really upset if you, you were in a plan without using independent consultants, independent attorneys, to help you through the negotiation and the contract reviewing process. This is your chance right now for you guys to speak up and ask questions. Thanks. Thank you. Bob? Okay. I feel like I've been through this presentation a few times, so, um, but for some of us it's brand new, so I will, um, I'll move through uh, as quickly as possible, but giving you enough time to review the information, what we're presenting for you tonight as our tentative budget. Whoops. Great, thank you. And I do want to point out that the co-chair, the faculty co-chair of the District Budget Committee, Maria Biddenbach, is here um, in the room, and she can answer any questions that I can't answer. So, so this here are the members of the uh, district budget committee, and so made up of faculty, um, uh, administrators, uh, staff members, classified staff members, and an ASNVC student representative. How we got to where we are tonight. First of all, this starts with planning priorities, the priorities that are established through the planning committee process for uh, where the district should be allocating its resources. 
Now, those were approved by you in February of 2016. Um, these were two-year priorities, so they applied to um, 16, 17, as well as 17, 18, and we'll see them in a minute. The Budget Committee brought forward our budget development values and assumptions. They were approved by you on October 13th. We held planning and budget development forums for campus for the, for the campus on October 31st and November 3rd to get as much input, input as possible into this process and to make sure that everybody on campus understood what the process was. Um, Unit plans were worked on by each of the units um, from November through February, and those unit plans were presented to the president and the vice presidents by February 27th. Then the area council, so instruction council, student service, student affairs council, the council from the office of the president and the administrative services council all reviewed the unit plans from their areas during the month of March. Prioritized lists were sent to the cabinet, and cabinet reviewed them during the month of April. We prepared, based on the feedback that we got from cabinet, we prepared the tentative budget, presented it to the budget committee on May 5th for their approval. They approved moving it forward presented it to the campus community at a campus forum on May 18th. That was then brought to the Audit and Finance Committee of the Board of Trustees at a meeting on May 30th. And now tonight we are bringing the, the work of all of those steps in the process to you for your final review. Now, just as a refresh, to refresh your memory, the five planning priorities which have been in place for the past two years ref, uh, revolved around student learning outcomes, a seamless progression of students from the moment of first contact to their goal achievement, evaluating instruction and services at off-site locations through, and through distance education, evaluating and increasing the effectiveness of our institutional planning processes, and then developing an integrated resource planning system. So those were the five planning priorities that drove the process. We made a change this year. It's a little hard to see on this slide, but we did change the way we asked units to provide the information that would then comprise their unit plan. And we divided it into two areas. We had strategic initiatives. Those would be things that were linked to those five planning priorities. And then we also had operational continuance. So to pull out things that were necessary expenditures to keep doing what we're doing as opposed to resource requests that reflected a desire to move in a new direction or to develop a new strategic initiative. Our revenue assumptions, and it's a little different this year because we certainly had the information from the state chancellor's office from the governor's original proposal in January and his May revise, and that certainly advised this process. But there was one change. So we have our state cost of living increase uh, uh, estimate, state-based funding increases. We expect our property tax revenue to increase. But the one thing that's shifting this year for us 
is our shift from state apportionment funding to community-supported funding. And so just to briefly go over what that means, first of all, based on an amount per FTES that the state chancellor's office determines, based on an amount per campus of our size, center of the size of our Upper Valley campus, the state determines what our total computational revenue should be. So how much money should Napa Valley College get to run its operations? Now, the state then determines how much they have to give to each of the institutions by subtracting from that total computational revenue enrollment fees that are paid by the local students and property taxes that are collected locally and go to the local district. So if a district has a total computational revenue level of $30 million and they collect $3 million in enrollment fees and $22 million in property taxes, then the state would make up the difference, and that's that apportionment funding. So the state would apportion $5 million to that district. And that's what Napa Valley College has been for years. So we receive our local revenues, our student enrollment fees and our property taxes, don't quite make that limit or that total computational revenue. So some additional money comes from the state. However, if total computational revenue is $30 million, you collect $3 million in enrollment fees and you get $28 million in property taxes, well, now you're at $31 million. And so you've already achieved your $30 million in total computational revenue, so the state does not apportion anything to you. And that's what's referred to, it used to be called a basic aid district, that's what's referred to as a community-supported district. And the thing about being a community-supported district is to the extent that those local revenues exceed that total computational revenue, that money stays locally. So in this case, that extra $1 million, it doesn't go to the state, um, it doesn't go to the chancellor's office, it stays locally to support the needs of the district. And we are seeing in the current fiscal year we are seeing that shift to being community-supported or basic aid here, and that's what we're looking at or what we looked at when we built the budget for that you're looking at tonight. So we looked at the uh, funding priorities from each of the four area councils, and what you see on the next this slide and the next three slides are the funding priorities that were approved and that made it through from unit plans through the area council meeting up to chance, up to the president's cabinet and to the budget that you're seeing tonight. So funding priorities for the instructional area were classroom supplies and instructional supplies, so additional funding for those areas, dedicated funding for some elements that were already in that were already in the budget or had already been paid for in the past, but dedicated funding in this case for cadavers for the science program, some additional lab equipment, increasing fees from accrediting agencies and entry fees for athletics, equipment repair for VWT. Supplies for the success centers on campus and supplies for instructional excellence days. These were all operational needs, so these weren't strategic initiatives, but it doesn't mean 
that the Office of Instruction didn't have strategic initiatives. What it means is that many of their strategic initiatives were implemented this year, were funded through funds that were available this year, and will continue to be implemented uh, in the 17-18 fiscal year. From student affairs, there were requests for some additional equipment in the EOPS office and in veterans services, and these will provide additional workstations for our students. There's a slight increase in Umoja consortium fees, membership fees so that the, uh, the district as a whole and student services are members of organizations that this college should be associated with and involved in. Some additional travel and conference fees to make sure that staff throughout student affairs gets the training that they need to continue providing excellent service to our students. An increase in local funding for work study. We see that while uh, minimum wage has increased in the state of California, it hasn't increased nationally, and so those work study funds don't go as far as they used to. And then some equipment and licensing, computer licensing fees for college police. In administrative services, the two requests were from the facilities department. We need an additional vehicle, and so we're looking to lease an additional vehicle. And then we need to purchase some upgraded cleaning equipment for the facilities department. In the president's area, president's area is made up of four offices, president's office, institutional advancement, human resources, and research planning and institutional effectiveness. Now, you don't see research planning and institutional effectiveness on the screen because they didn't have all of their initiatives were, they had funding for all of their initiatives. They weren't asking for additional funding. So in the President's office, there was a request to increase funding for legal consulting. We've seen an increase in the need for legal consulting over the past year. And funding for professional development opportunities for the Board of Trustees. And this really represents opportunities to attend CCLC, um, ACCT, other uh, activities that we haven't necessarily been participating in um, in the past few years because of budget cuts, so to restore some of that funding. For the Office of Institutional Advancement, um, the request was specific funding for 75th anniversary activities. And in Human Resources, General Office Supplies, Supplies for outreach activities, and when we talk about outreach activities, we're talking about participating in job fairs, um, being uh, uh, at places where job seekers uh, go so that we can be represented there and we can make sure that those candidates come to Napa Valley College. Some enhanced enhancements to our applicant tracking and onboarding systems to more fully automate those processes and then funding for specific employee orientations and trainings. In terms of staffing, the majority of the staffing requests that we looked at, and we're still reviewing some of those staffing requests, but the majority of the staffing requests were requests to replace the use of hourly employees with regular um, contract 
employees. And so replacing the use of hourly employees and consultants with actual employees of the district. So what we're looking at here is our budget for general fund unrestricted or the unrestricted general fund. We'll see in a minute what the proposal is or what the tentative budget would be for restricted funds. The, the real shift that you see here, if you compare the final budget for 1617 with the 1718 tentative budget, is that shift from state income to local income. So not as much income coming in from the state of California in terms of apportionment, but more income locally through primarily through uh, property taxes. What you also see here is ending balance reserve for STRS and PERS. And 16-17 was the first year of three years that were set aside to help fund the increased percentages in um, the employer contribution for PERS and STRS. So if you remember, in uh, November of 2015, the district received some one-time funding and a decision was made to put part of that funding, set part of that funding aside so that we could, it would give us some assistance in funding those STRS and PERS increases. 17-18 is year two of those three years. Uh, I have a question about the yes. state income. Sure. Um, and I didn't ask this when we had our finance meeting the other day, but is some of that de decrease due to the Prop 30 decrease? Some of that is due to the Prop 30 decrease. The most significant Prop 30 decrease was actually in 16. So the first half of that decrease was in 1617 with the sunset of, of uh, some of the elements of Prop 30. So we are anticipating uh, the full decrease in 1718. Okay. When we look at salaries and benefits, the salaries reflect in uh, faculty salaries, reflect the increases that were negotiated as part of the contract. Uh, administrative and classified reflect step and column increases as people um, move through from, from one level on their uh, salary schedule to another. And then we see significant increases in state teachers' retirement and public employees' retirement, and that's due to those employer contribution increases. Books and supplies and uh, other operating expenses were a 1.5% increase. Uh, under capital outlay and cabinet priorities, that's a significant increase, and that reflects, yes, yeah. I'm sorry, that, that reflects, primarily reflects it, not only the cabinet priorities, but also the technology refresh and scheduled maintenance, somewhat offset by the fact that there are uh, 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 classroom equipment and instructional equipment and scheduled maintenance funds that we will receive from the state this year. Those are in the state budget. So, um, so before you leave this page, just to pick up on what Mr. Orton said, I'd asked at the subcommittee meeting um, for the budget about why planning services for housing wasn't in the budget. And I remember you mentioned that Planning services for housing wasn't specifically in the budget, but consultants is in the budget. 
and that would fall under consulting. And so I'm wondering where in this budget. So part of that. So part of that is in cabinet priorities because there was a request for an increase in consulting fees in uh, cabinet priorities. Uh, we would also see some of that. Uh, most of that would be in other personal services. The consulting fees would be in other personal services. And for the cabinet. There was mention that there would be an increase in consulting services. Oh, so legal fees. Um, there was there was a request for an increase in consulting services, specifically for legal fees. But that would be part of the um, uh, would ultimately become in the final budget part of other personal services. So is the idea that there in the existing budget there is already enough money for consultants to cover the planning services for the housing that project is, manager? That was certainly the thought in development of the tentative budget. Now we'll know better when we get to the final budget because we will have gone through more of the process and gathered more information. Thank you. Sure. The other thing I want to point out, because other ALCO is always an area that raises an eyebrow. And really other outgo and interfund transfers and then the GASB 45 liability. Most of other outgo refers to or relates to our GASB 45 or our other post-employment benefits uh, requirements. What you see in other outgo are the pay-as-you-go. If you remember when we looked at the OPEB plan, there's a pay-as-you-go portion, which is the amount that we have to pay for post-employment benefits, primarily health benefits for our retirees. So that's the amount that we have to pay every year for those folks who have already retired. Then what you see under the GASB 45 liability, that's the amount of money that we are starting to, we're not starting to because we've been setting aside for years, but the we are increasing our set aside to uh, account for the overall future liability for other post-employment benefits. So if you look, unrestricted expenditures and um, unrestricted revenues are, are the same. So we had in unrestricted revenues $40,555,000 and in unrestricted expenditures $40,555,000. Bless you. So that is our... Unrestricted budget, when we look at restricted funds, our tentative budget for restricted funds are, first of all, we're assuming a carryover of our current restricted funds. Restricted fund expenditures are limited to the revenues received, so the restricted funds will always be in balance. Our tentative budget for restricted funds will carry over the budget from the 1617 adopted budget. When we get to the final budget, we will have more information about those restricted funds, the actual numbers, so that we'll be bringing forward the, the actual restricted funds that have been confirmed for this year and the expenditures that will be related to them. That will come in the final or ultimately adopted budget. Now, one of the things that we started this year in the Budget Committee was to develop a three-year financial plan. And so 1516 was the baseline year, and 1617 was uh, uh, the first year of that projection. So we took it out three years. 
in our first set of projections, we had our final budget for 16-17 and then projections for 17-18 and 18-19. Now that we have the tentative budget for 18 for 17-18, we're taking that projection out one year further. So a couple of things I want to point out as we look at that projection. First of all, notice other financing sources are projected to decrease between 1819 and 1920. That reflects the sunset of the $490,000 per year that was set aside for PERS and SERS increases. Uh, if we look at academic salaries, we see an increase based on the uh, uh, salary schedule and the increases that were negotiated through the latest round of negotiations. You will see there's a bump in classified salaries in uh, 18 in 1920, excuse me, and that's because in 1819 or in 2018 we expect the results of the classification and compensation study. So we will see some increases there. A couple of other things I want to point out. If you look excess or shortfall of income over expenditures, in 1819 we're showing an excess or a surplus of a projected surplus of 364000 In 1920, a projected surplus of 29222 now, at this point, many, there are many variables associated with 1819 and 1920, not the least of which is the results of the classification and compensation study. And so rather than balancing those years, we've left those years just to show that with these projections, we are projecting that revenues will cover expenditures. Finally... What I want to point out to you is the uncommitted fund balance. And you see our final budget for 1617, that uncommitted fund balance was almost $5.6 million. And when we talk about uncommitted fund balance, what that means is that these are the funds that we have in our fund balance that we haven't made any plans for. So, you know, so, for example, if you looked at the fund balance today, it's more than $5.6 million because it includes next year's 490000 and the following year's 490000 for those PERS and STRS increases. So we look at what is actually available, what has not been set aside for other purposes. Notice that currently these projections reflect no increase in that uncommitted fund balance. But the percent of unrestricted expenditures obviously changes from year to year because unrestricted expenditures continue to go up. So that $5.6 million is 15% of unrestricted expenditures this year, 14% in 17-18, and goes down to 13% in eighteen nineteen. And 1920. Now, that is still well above the required 5%. It's also above the 12% goal that we had set for ourselves. But by the time we get to 1819 and STRS and PERS start to balance out, remember we did, the Budget Committee did go back and adopt a long-term goal of 15% 
six years out. And so as we build these projections for future years, we'll be looking at achieving that 15% goal. Okay, so future considerations. Person stirs increases were funded through 1819, so we need to pick that up in 1920. And you can see that's um, reflected in the in the uh, financial forecast. OPEB contributions are increasing every year, and those increases are included in the 1718 tentative as well as the projections going out. Negotiated faculty salary increases are included in the budget and the three-year projections. We have additional funding for technology and scheduled maintenance included in the budget. The results of the classification and compensation study were, are expected in 2018, and so there will be some impact um, on the salaries for classified staff, potentially be impact on the salaries for classified staff and administrative and confidential staff. General obligation bonds, that is not included in this budget for a couple of reasons. First of all, you have already at a previous meeting approved the use of funds for the feasibility study. Once the feasibility study is over and a decision is made to go forward, that is not general fund money that is not reflected in the general fund, either restricted or unrestricted budget. So any campaign materials, any expenses related to the campaign must come from outside funding, must be accounted for separately, and then certainly the bonds themselves and construction would be outside, it would be part of our overall budget, but wouldn't be taking place in 1718 and outside of the general fund budget as well. Campus housing we've talked about, there are funds available in the budget, and we'll know better when we get to final budget what those funds need to be. And when we get to final budget, those funds, whatever funds are needed in order to do any um, additional studies or hire any consultants would be included in the final budget. And then finally, the VWT capital campaign, which we heard a little bit about tonight in the foundation report. That's an NVC foundation initiative. Once the NVC Foundation raises the funds and construction starts, then funds would be transferred over to our capital outlay fund in order to fund that project. But again, not anticipating completion of that during this fiscal year outside of the tentative budget for this fiscal year. So I'd be happy to answer any questions you might have at this time. I have one. Yes. For the funding priorities, it says classroom supplies and instructional supplies. Did yeah. you get student input for that on what to get in the classrooms? or um, uh, How was that determined? I'll actually ask um, Eric to address that since it came from the Instruction Council. Yeah, yeah. So this came through in our area. So the unit plans that are developed out of, uh, out of the instructional area come from the faculty initially um, that are in the department. So those are the um, full-time teaching faculty, the program coordinators that are working directly in the classroom delivering the instruction. When we talk about instructional supplies, those are typically the supplies that are associated with um, how the instructor has decided to deliver the content of the course. Um, this does not include uh, classroom equipment and things of that sort. So um, an example of, of a type of classroom supply. So I'll, I'll, I'll 
draw on my former discipline in being in the studio art. So um, we have to uh, we have to have paper and charcoal to do demonstrations for our students. So there's a small amount of funding that we need every year for instructional supplies in that. That's more related to what the teacher is required to have in the classroom to teach the content of the course. And so when those roll up through the unit plan and the budget process, those are originating from the faculty, going through the program coordinators, division chairs in those areas that have them, the dean, et cetera. So the students aren't involved in the process at the, at the point of the development of the request for the instructional funds because those are funds that are specifically related to what the uh, faculty are teaching in the classroom. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Move to approve. We need a, we need a second yeah. anyway to continue. Yeah. Right. I just have two questions. Um, let's let's uh, so let's go ahead and make a motion to uh, approve. I did. We have a second there. Okay. So uh, questions. Okay, I just have two. Um, okay, so earlier in the presentation, it talked about how um, any new activities will have to be linked to institutional plans. Right, so which was part of our accreditation. So I'm wondering. I've, I've talked before in the past about my concern that the housing isn't linked to our institutional plans, but we haven't done anything yet. So once, if the college decides to move forward with planning services, for example, at that point, will it have to link it to our institutional plans, like everything else, or will it be exempt for that? So I would say that, so when we're talking about linking to institutional plans, uh, certainly institutional plans as they relate to services to students and needs of students and uh, campus life in general, that housing project would be linked to those plans. So, okay, so we'll have to be able to be connected like everything else. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then my second question, this kind of was with, this is more for you, Dr. Kraft. This was came up at the budget committee meeting, and I, I wasn't sure about the answer. So I asked about the increase to legal services, um, and you mentioned something about why we're needing to increase them, and you mentioned something about ed code being old and that people test it, and and so and then also about increased um, freedom of information requests. So I'm just wondering. Is that when you were talking about ed code and people challenging it, are you talking about is this like a reactive thing to something things that are going on right now, or is this more like a preventative thing so that um, we prevent people from challenging ed code uh, questions? No. I, I'm, it's neither of those two things. I, I would say generally speaking, the legal costs that are that I was referring to is ed code is a through it through case law is changed mostly through case law. So the case law kind of rolls throughout the system with, at different institutions. So sometimes we'll have to implement something here based on the changes that come through the chancellor's office or through the legislature or whatever it might be. Those, those are costly. So we have to have legal review of policies or you know ARs or take a look at forms or do something different for students or include a new protected class, those kinds of things. Um, so those are, those are typical. Okay, and uh, so everybody should have their voting in front of them. And Manveer, how do you vote? Aye. Passed unanimously. Thank you. And I would like to propose a brief five-minute break. So we're back at 812? 
Okay. 